Hi, this is Jay Webb for International Gospel Hour. Since 1934, Churches of Christ have proclaimed God's Word through International Gospel Hour. Please stay tuned for another lesson on this program by Jeff Archie. Are you listening? Thank you very much, Jay. And we are delighted and blessed that you have tuned in today, dear friends. And today is a very special broadcast titled, The Will of God. Now, such a discussion alone makes it a special broadcast because of its content. Obviously, the will of God. But we have another reason this is a special broadcast, and I'll say more on that in a moment. But first, we'd like to hear once again from our Jay Webb. Jay? Hello, friends. Miss a broadcast of Are You Listening? Please know you may easily access previous broadcasts through our podcast partners at Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn Radio. Just search for International Gospel Hour, and you can find previous broadcasts of Are You Listening? They are always there, 24-7, for you to listen or download. And now, let's continue our study today. V.E. Howard was the first speaker of the International Gospel Hour simply known then as the Gospel Hour. His first radio lesson was in 1934 over station KTHS in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Its title, The Will of God. It is my privilege to reach back and present this lesson. Now, we will be making some adjustments due to our time allowed today, but we will be able to conclude the teaching and the thoughts that Brother Howard intended. And now, let's turn back the clock for a lesson by V.E. Howard titled, The Will of God. He said at that time, Friends, I invite your attention to the discussion of the subject, The Will of God, the text of which is found in Matthew seven twenty-one through 23 Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy by thy name, and in thy name cast out demons, and by thy name do many mighty works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. From the reading of God's word we are impressed with the necessity of doing the will of God. To call on the name of the Lord will mean nothing unless we obey the will of God. Jesus said, Not everyone that saith, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. Our entering the kingdom of heaven will depend on our obedience to the will of the God of heaven. In Romans 10.13, the Apostle Paul quoted the prophet when he said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In verse 14, he said, How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? In the record, the prophet revealed the fact that man is saved by calling on the name of the Lord. But he cannot call on the name of the Lord unless he believes, and he cannot believe unless he has heard. 
heard what we may ask. Evidently, the will of God, because Jesus said, Not everyone that calleth Lord, Lord, shall be saved, but he that doeth the will of God. Let us ask, what is a will? A will of human origin is a legal instrument through which certain benefits may be received by named persons or institutions after the death of the testator. Anyone of proper age is competent to make a will, except persons of unsound minds, infants, and idiots. The testator of a will has something to bequeath to another. The benefits of a will may be received upon certain terms and conditions stipulated in the will. A written will must be signed and witnessed, and the will must be probated after the death of the testator. A last will always annuls any former wills and must be executed after the death of the testator. The testator's name must be given and conditions of benefit plainly expressed. The testator of a will is the master of his own will. No other person has the right to dictate or force conditions or benefits of a will upon a testator. The courts of our land admit that a testator may revoke his will before his death. Or a will may be set aside when it has been proven that the testator was not in his right mind when making the will. Also, our courts admit revocation of a will when the properties or benefits were disposed of during the lifetime of the testator. There are many impressive characteristics of a will or testament. One of the first things with which we are impressed about a will is the fact that the person making the will has something worth bequeathing to another, and he has heirs to inherit the benefits of the will. Concerning the will of God, surely that is true. God has something to offer man for his inheritance, the most valuable possession ever to be contemplated. All the riches and values of the world combined are incomparable to the internal inheritance that fadeth not away, which may be enjoyed through the will of God. God offers, through His will, the salvation of man's soul. In Matthew 16 and verse 28, Jesus said, For what shall a man be profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Truly, the will of God offers man the greatest benefit known or ever contemplated, the gift of eternal life. Paul the inspired apostle declared, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 6, verse 23. Peter spoke of the benefits of God's will as an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, 1 Peter 1 and verse 4. Another thing we observe about a will is the fact that the person who makes a will certainly does have tender thoughts and regards toward those who are to be benefited by the will. It is hardly true that a testator would make an enemy the beneficiary of his will. Those whose names are included in a will are highly respected or loved by the testator of the will. Ladies and gentlemen, God has a will. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to do His Father's will. In John 4:34, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me, 
and to finish His work. Surely the omnipotence and omniscience of the divine persons of God the Father in Christ the Son are unquestionable. The divine beings are qualified in every detail to make a will. Christ, the testator of God's will, loves all men and has made provisions for all men with certain qualifications to be included as beneficiaries of God's will. God's love for man, His tender affections and concern for man's welfare are beyond question. John made a universal proclamation of God's love when he said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but have eternal life. God's love was so great for man that He gave His only Son to die on the cross, that man might be saved by the will of God. God loves all men of earth, and made it possible for all men of earth to be benefited by His will, if man is willing to receive the benefits of God's will. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should be saved. 2 Peter 3.9 Jesus, God's Son, declared, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do the things which I command you. John 15 13, and 14. A will should be properly signed and witnessed. Without doubt, Jesus the Christ is the testator of the will of God, having given His own blood as His signature of the blessed will of God. His apostles were chosen as His witnesses, as revealed in Luke 24, 46-49. You are witnesses of these things, Jesus said. As the chosen witnesses of the Lord, the apostles were to break the seal and administer the will of God, guided by the Holy Spirit, but not until after Christ's death. Jesus commanded His witnesses to tarry ye in the city until you be clothed with power from on high, Luke 24:49. Also consider Acts 1, 1 through 8. The last will and testament of our Lord was probated in the high court of heaven and executed more than 2,000 years ago, Acts 1, verse 8, Acts 2, 32-38. We shall see the divine probation unfolded in the Scriptures. A will certainly states the names of those who are to be benefited by the Testament. The will of God definitely states the names of those who are to inherit the benefits of the will. In John 8:31, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, then are you truly my disciples. Furthermore, he declared, You are my friends if you do the things which I command you. John 15, verse 14. Those named by the Lord who will qualify to receive the benefits of God's will are they who obey the commands of the Lord, that is, comply with the conditions and requirements. We can understand what Jesus meant when He said, Not every one that saith, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. To do the will of God is to comply with its terms, conditions, and qualifications. The Lord of heaven does not show any partiality in the matter. He shows no special favors to the exclusion of others. In Mark 3, 33-35, Jesus indicated who are His dearest friends. He said, 
Who is my mother and my brethren? And looking around on them that sat about him, he said, Behold my mother and brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and sister and mother. One's obedience to the will of God is the important thing. There are no special favors for anybody's mother and brethren. God is no respecter of persons, Acts 10, 34, 35. There were no special favors from the viewpoint of God's will with reference to its conditions for blessings of mankind, even for the mother of Jesus. Yet, my friends, unfortunately there are people today who prefer to follow their parents in religion, even if they are wrong. We must obey the will of God if we expect to enjoy the blessings of God's will. Remember, my mother and your mother did not make this will. This is the will of God. We must obey His will. Hear the language of our Lord. Are you listening? He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Matthew 10, 37 and 38. It is the last will and testament that is valid. A will is not valid until after the death of the testator who made it. In Hebrews 9, 15-18 we read, And for this cause he is the mediator of a new covenant, that a death having taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first covenant, they that have been called may receive the promise of the internal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must of necessity be the death of him that made it. For a testament is of force where there hath been death. For it doth never avail while he that made it liveth. It must not be forgotten that inspiration declared that a testament is a force after men are dead. Furthermore, it was declared in Hebrews 10, 9 and 10, He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. My friends, Jesus the Christ is the testator of the New Testament, which is the last will and testament of God. There is none other. After the death of Jesus, the last will and testament of God was executed and administered, and will continue to be administered until the end of time. The fact that we do have the New Testament since the death of Jesus is indicative of the fact that we do not have the Old Testament as our guide in serving God to qualify for the benefits of God's will. When Jesus died on the cross, the old law, the old will and testament, was set aside. It was abrogated by reason of the death of Christ, the testator of the New Testament. In Colossians 2.14, Paul wrote, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. The Old Testament, as a law and testament to be obeyed, was nailed to the cross when Jesus died on the cross. The Bible declares, He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. 
Hebrews 10.9. The blessings and benefits of salvation are to be received by terms of the second, the New Testament, and not the first, the Old Testament. These spiritual blessings have been received through the offering of the body of Christ once for all, after His death, for all mankind, Hebrews 10, 9 and 10. If we expect to be saved by the will of God, we must therefore obey the will of God revealed in the New Testament, and not go back to shadows and types of the Old Testament. With the change of the priesthood, Christ having become the priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, which was a disannulling of the commandment going before, Hebrews 7, 17 and 18, there was the necessity of the change of the law. The old law was removed, and a new law was instituted. It was unmistakably affirmed in Hebrews 7 and verse 12 when the writer says, For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. Is it not strange that those who contend for observance of the old law do not attempt to maintain the Jewish priesthood order, as was practiced under the old law? Remember, the Bible says, For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. My friends, the testator of a will always has full power to make any conditions in the will he may desire. No one has any right to dictate the terms and conditions of the will to the testator. This is true of the will of God. Since Jesus was the testator of the last will and testament of God, no man nor group of men has the right to stipulate any condition or alter any condition in the will of God. If you should write your will, certainly you are aware of the fact that you alone shall state the benefits of that will and the conditions upon which the benefits are to be received. Any undue influence or force will not be tolerated by the courts of our land. Christ had every right to include any and every condition He desired in the will of God. Who am I that I should tell the Lord Jesus that any condition stated in His will is non-essential? Who is the man who has the right to tell Christ, the testator of God's will, I am your counselor, and I want to advise you that I don't think it is essential to observe all the conditions of your will. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me. Are you listening? Do you not know that many preachers and religious teachers are assuming the roles of dictators to the Lord Jesus Christ by attempting to counsel Christ that certain conditions of salvation revealed in the will of God are non-essential? It is too bad that Jesus did not have some of the modern preachers and teachers of this world to advise him what should have been included and what should not have been included in the Lord's will. Poor mortal men, worms and dust of the earth, who would seek to counsel God concerning His will. One may ask, Do men attempt to alter or modify the will of God, the very will that offers to mankind an eternal inheritance? Often it is true. For example, one section of the Word of God reads, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. 
But he that believeth not shall be damned. Mark 16:15 and 16. In contrast, some would-be wise counselor advises the Lord that he should have stated in this part of the will, He that believeth is saved and may be baptized later. What a tragic mistake! Such a mistake disqualifies one to receive the internal inheritance promised in the will of God. To alter or pervert God's will is a most serious offense. The inspired apostle declared, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Galatians 1, verse 8. Dear friends, may we pause here for a moment and realize that Brother Howard has brought forth some strong discussion on the will of God, but yet important indeed it is. Maybe we have prompted you to think on some of the things that Brother Howard has brought forth, and maybe we'll prompt you to study your Bibles. We'd love to help you, and we want to pause here at our broadcast. We'll come back in just a moment and conclude, but let's pause for our Jay Webb as he tells us of an excellent online Bible study. Jay? Dear friends, the International Gospel Hour not only offers a free Bible study course by mail, but our friends at World Bible School offer an online study if you prefer. It is absolutely free. All you do is go to worldbibleschool.org and register. You will be provided a study helper who can answer questions and provide feedback for your lessons. That is a free online study at worldbibleschool.org. Please sign up today. And now, back to Jeff. Someone says if the will of God includes, among other things, baptism as being essential to salvation, why did not Christ tell the thief on the cross that baptism was essential to salvation? This question is evidence of lack of understanding of the will of God. It must be understood that one's believing or not believing the thief will be saved, with or without baptism, will not affect the destiny of his soul. I would say that the thief will be saved. Jesus declared, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise, Luke 23:43. Paradise is that part of the Hadean world where the saved go after death to await the resurrection day. Christ went into paradise after his death. He promised the thief that would be his place of abode that day too. The saved in paradise will receive the crown of life on the morning of the resurrection. We can logically expect the thief to be among the number. But why is that thief so popular today? Surely we can assume that this particular thief, the thief on the cross, will not be the only thief to be saved in the day of judgment. The answer has already been suggested. Somebody decided the thief on the cross was not baptized, therefore no one today need to be baptized to be saved, even though Christ did command he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, Mark 16:16. 16, 16. If the thief on the cross will be saved and he was not baptized, why can't anyone today be saved like the thief on the cross without baptism? Let us consider the matter. In the first place, no one could successfully prove the thief was not baptized. It is evident that he, at least, knew something about the Lord's kingdom, for he requested... Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Also, 
It is probable that he lived in the country where many hundreds were baptized by the authority of John the baptizer, Matthew 3, 5, and 6. Who could prove that the thief was not among that number? But, beloved, it makes no difference whether the thief on the cross was or was not baptized as far as the salvation of man's soul today is concerned. It must be remembered, the thief died the same day our Lord died. Both Jesus and the thief were still living when Jesus said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. This promise was made before the death of Christ on the cross, and that makes the difference. The promise was made before the new law, the law of grace and truth, the gospel of Christ was effective. The old law, the Old Testament covenant, was in force during the personal ministry of Christ. He kept the old law and fulfilled the old law but remove the old covenant in his death on the cross. Hear the apostle. For he is our peace, who made both one, and break down the middle wall of partition, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that he might create in himself of the two one new man, so making peace, and might reconcile them both in one body unto God through the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Ephesians 2, 14-16 Man is subject to the law under which he lives. It was after our Lord's death and resurrection he declared that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. There can be no doubt about the consequences of disobeying the will of God. Jesus declared, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Matthew seven twenty-one through 23 Thank you for joining us this day. I'm Jeff Archie, and dear friends, keep listening. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We hope, first, that it glorified God. But second, we hope that it edified you. Listen to it again if you need to, or to other lessons in this series by going to the Media tab at our site, internationalgospelhour.com. Glory.